Thanks for listening to Beyond Prisons. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Sonnenstein, and we are back with another episode on the COVID-19 crisis at the Correctional Training Facility in Soledad, California. This time, I had the privilege of speaking with four women who have loved ones incarcerated at this facility, one of the hardest hit in the California prison system. Their names are Mary, Dawn, Crystal, and Alice, and we spoke for an hour about what this year has been like for them as they navigate the pandemic on both sides of the walls. Nearly a year into this crisis, these women describe conditions at CTF that expose a yawning gap between the picture painted in CDCR press releases and the experiences of incarcerated families. They explain how cold and unaccountable prison officials and politicians have been in response to basic demands for PPE, testing, and quarantining. They underscore how the suffering at CTF reaches far outside the walls and into their homes as they struggle to defend their loved ones while holding down jobs, raising children, showing up for one another, and more. They also talk about the power and support they draw from one another as a group and the importance of building this community during the crisis. If you haven't heard our previous episodes on Soledad, it might help for you to pause this and go back and listen to those first. I'll link to them in the episode notes. One last thing. The show is made possible by our listeners, who give single or monthly donations to fund our work and cover the cost of producing this show. If you appreciate our platform and want to help us grow, you can visit beyond-prisons.com donate to chip in. And if you can't give but you still want to help, you can rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen, which helps boost our visibility. Or you can just tell your friends, family, followers, and comrades that you listen. Spreading the word really helps. That's it for now. Here's my conversation with Alice, Mary, Don, and Crystal. Thanks for listening. All right. Well, thank you all uh, for joining us today. I'm um, really pleased to be speaking with you and to get your stories. And, um, you know, we've never had this many people on, so I want to dive right in and get started uh, and make the most of this hour that we have together. Um, and I thought maybe just a simple place to start would be to ask folks to just go around and just say a few words about who you are and, and who you're uh, repping on the inside right now, um, just to kind of introduce yourself to, to folks who are listening out there. Um, I guess, Alice, if you wanted to go first, um, our listeners are probably the most familiar with you from our last episode, but um, maybe you could kick it off for us. Hi, my name is Alice. Um, I'm advocating for everybody that's incarcerated, especially those who do not have family members outside. And I am a wife of an incarcerated person. Mary? Yes, hi. Um, My name is Mary and my husband has been incarcerated for a little over 20 years. And um, I'm just here to advocate for him and um, everybody inside that's suffering right now with this COVID pandemic. Awesome. And Dawn? I as well. My name is Dawn. I as well am advocating for those incarcerated. Um, I do have a loved one who's been down 24 years um, serving two life sentences. But like I tell him, it's not just about him. It's for the whole um, population that's incarcerated that's not getting uh, treated fairly. Thank you. And Crystal? My name's Crystal Mono. Um, I'm advocating for my father. He's been incarcerated since 2009, and my husband's been incarcerated since 2007. So, and um, and 
many of the others that don't have no, no family or uh, nobody to speak for them. So. Appreciate that. And just to be sure um, for our listeners, all of you have, have family at the Correctional Training Facility in Soledad, correct? Correct. Okay. Yes. Cool. Yes. Um, okay, Crystal, you know, I was wondering, I'm, I'm going to ask you all this, but I, I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit from your perspective about um, the, the situation in terms of what's going on inside Soledad in light of the pandemic. Um, you know, what has this been like for you? What has your loved one told you about the situation sort of generally on the inside? Um, my father was up north before this, and he came down um, to CFTF, CS, CTF prison to actually be closer to my husband and closer so we could all visit him. So it's been two years now. And beforehand, my father was, he was taking advantage of all the programs, and um, he was working in a hospice where he was at. But now we're, since he's been down at CTF, he actually, um, it's been a, such a negative impact on all of our family. I'm kind of worried about his mental state. He he was working in the kitchen when all this started happening, and he he was quarantined. He was uh, around somebody that a free staff that was positive, and that happened right at the beginning. So after that, he was he's been quarantined ever since, and he's been negative. And at that same time, my husband became positive. So not being able to see either of them has affect myself uh, emotionally I can't imagine how they feel I mean it's I believe a big part of my um, a person's rehabilitation is having relationships with their family mm-hmm. and um, my dad I am my dad's motivation that I, I keep him going and uh, it's just been very emotional this maybe these last couple months have taken a toll on on all of us, his mom, he hasn't been able to see his mom and she just turned 80 years old. Mm. So it's, and with him being negative, uh, unresolved kind of scares me because, you know, I received a letter from him and it's stating that he, uh, I told, he said that he's afraid for his life and he doesn't want to die in there. And he, you know, I mean, he, he, I, he understands his, he's doing his time and he's, doing 25 years plus he has um so he's doing 25 to life Mm -hmm. but just him thinking that he may die sooner Mm -hmm. just scary and it's just and every day waiting for that phone call to find because I haven't heard from him I don't talk to him much so just not knowing if he's okay really Mm -hmm. really has taken a toll I feel like I've aged years Mm. yeah (laughs) so can you, no, you know, you mentioned that you were worried about his, his mental health and you mentioned that um, he had been quarantined. Can you just explain to people like what that looks like in a prison? Like, what do you mean by him being quarantined? What, what was that experience? Well, he's, he doesn't, they have a choice to go out and shower every uh, three days, which they're not following, but my father doesn't even go shower. He doesn't come out. He's barely starting to come out now to use the phones and make a phone call, but he's afraid of catching it. And um, he he said he puts cardboard under his uh, under his doorway so the air doesn't come in because his Sally and he are very um, they're they're devastated because his Sally's mother and 
aunt died from COVID. So that right there kind of, that, that takes a toll on his Sally as well. His Sally is very depressed. All mm -hmm. they do is they, they only see each other, you know, for days because they don't come out of the cell, but once every possibly a week to go to yard and they're not even using the yard. Mm -hmm. So it's just, um, it's just unfortunate because a lot of this could have been provided it could have been prevented ahead of time if the CDC would have just followed their guidelines and not, there wouldn't have been such a, um, a spread so fast mm. if they would have taken it seriously. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like their staff is going down as well. You know, now they don't have staff to give these guys showers. They don't have enough staff to give them yard. The yards, the little yard time that they have is um, in a limited area because the staff is now with the tent people in the area with the tents. Mm -hmm. So it's just like a domino effect and it's just way could have been, could have been prevented, mm -hmm. you know, and at first it was the shout the the, um, their packages waiting on their packages. They have to beg for their packages. They have to beg for their showers. They have to beg for a yard. Their families have to beg for visits. Now, now we're not allowed to see them for, we're not even allowed to have video visits because they're quarantined. They're being punished for being quarantined. When, let me add, my father was a cook during this quarantine time when this pandemic started. They offered my father a chrono. And a chrono is basically just a certificate just to show that they're, you know, to to um, give to board, to show that they're changing and they're taking advantage of the program mm -hmm. to rehabilitate themselves. And my dad did not even get his chrono promise. Um, and he was, he was only, he was a, three out of the four cooks cooking for the whole prison day and night because these guys were on lockdown. So, and now my father can't work because he's quarantined, he's unresolved. So now these, they have these positives working. And um, I mean, these people that have been positive, now they get to go and work and they get to do all the extras while these, the people that are negative get punished for being negative. Mm -hmm. That is so mm -hmm. frustrating to me. It's just disgusting. Um, they're treating them like animals. Even a, a you know a dog. You know when a dog's in a cage, you have to allow them to come out after a certain time. You know, and they're how are how is it okay to keep these guys in their cell for so many days just to allow them to go to shower for about a half an hour and come back in? It's just mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just very, I, it's mind blowing. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I want to circle back to you, but I wanted to bring in a couple other people here to, to sort of share their experiences and perspectives. I was wondering, Don, if you would feel comfortable going next and just talking a little bit about uh, your experience and the experience of your loved one. Um, yeah, so to piggyback off of what Crystal said, um, there are so many men in there in that same situation as her father of age, elderly, um, I don't know his exact age, but they're older and they're mm -hmm. higher at risk. Um, and yes, communication and contact with the family is so vital and important to the progress in there. And then, you know, rehabilitating, that is what the R is supposed to be for rehabilitation and CDCR. Um, and the phones really have been limited. <clears throat> every wing, it differs with every wing in the prison. But I know communication with my loved one has been zero to none pretty much um and it's sad because when you do hear them 
you can hear just the struggle. I mean, being in prison and serving time is already very heavy on them. It's a struggle to be safe and to make it day by day. But then when you hear them say, I just want to make it out of here alive because this virus has taken out so many people. I believe at uh, CTF right now, there's 12 deaths. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, ladies, but that's 12 too many. This has been going on since March, and it could have been prevented mm-hmm. by having a procedure in place, a protocol in place, and implement that procedure. Why now, so many months later, and 152 deaths later, are they just putting up the tents? They just put the tents up in CTF uh, last month, mm-hmm. and they just started using them. These men have been um, mingled with sick and well. You can't get well like that. So it is weighing on them. Um, I pray every day for their health and safety. Medical is limited. It's always limited in the the prison system. But especially now, I mean, you have to really be a man down to get any kind of attention or care. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, that's the main part. They just need to receive their basic human rights and be treated as basic human beings because that's Mm -hmm. what they are. At the end of the day, those are our loved ones. Those are somebody's father, brother, cousin, uncle, and they matter, just like everybody else out here matters. And people need to realize that, that we're out here and we love them, and they matter to somebody. Thank you very much. Um, Mary, can you go next, please? I, I, I can, Brian, of course. And I'm going to apologize um, from the beginning if I sound a little upset because talking about this always makes me upset um very understandable uh i I just want before i start i just want you know to point this out and i think you know my my colleagues have also said that but you know i just want people to understand how frustrating and difficult this is for us to even accept this this disease was brought into them they did not just contract it out of nowhere Mm And I think that's one thing that people fail to realize that our loved ones were, were, they failed to protect them from the very beginning. And now they're suffering the consequences. We are suffering the consequences because now, you know, we live on edge day by day, just, you know, fearing to get that call. That's, that's our life. That's what it has turned into. And I apologize for getting emotional. Um, since the very beginning, you know, I, I dread the day that I received that call. And back in August, the beginning of August, I got the call, you know, my husband telling, telling me that he was going to be transferred to the gym because he had tested positive. And he did not want to tell me before that he already had symptoms mm-hmm. um, because he didn't want to scare me. But mm-hmm. once he tested positive and it was confirmed and they were moving him to the gym, gym he told me because... He knew he was going to be quarantined for a while and I was going to be worried. Mm-hmm. During the gym, during the time he was in the gym, he wrote a letter um, to me and, you know, he literally wrote down everything that he witnessed. All the medical negligence, uh, everybody having to fight just to get their basic needs met in a place where, you know, they, they didn't even have 
um, the right materials or the right things to just, you know, give them proper medical mm-hmm. care or attention. And, you know, it, it, it was so disheartening for me because from that day forward, I just lived day by day, you know, thinking and just praying that I would get to see him again. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think Brian, people comprehend, you know, out here and in, in, in the, um, out here in the world, they don't understand what we are living through, what we are going through and what they are going through inside. Everybody in there is just suffering. You know, some people thankfully have the support of loved ones that are continuously, you know, trying to find out what's going on or calling the prison, making sure they're okay. But other people don't. Other people don't. And just like us out here, we're supporting each other because that's the only thing that we can do, support each other, because I think only us that have, you know, loved ones incarcerated are able to understand what that feels like. And the same in there, you know, they're literally supporting each other. My my husband, after being cleared, after he tested positive and, and he was resolved, he volunteered to work in the kitchen because they were so limited with the staff that, you know, their solution is, well, you will not have programs. You will not get phone calls. You know, you will not get showers. You will not, you know, you will be self-fed. That's their solution to every problem. Just locking them down, you know, putting them away, not knowing what this is doing to them and their mental health. And, you know, as far as not being able to communicate with them, there's, there's no transparency. You know, there's a big gap between what CDC, CDC is doing and, you know, what they inform to the families. They mm-hmm. let us know. They give us bits and pieces. And, you know, there's never any consistency, never any consistency. Uh, the, the, you know, inside, the guys aren't even able to expect a regular program because mm-hmm. just out of the blues, they will call them and say, okay, well, today you guys are getting phone calls. You know, if you can't get up and get ready and do it right now, you, you, you know, you won't get a phone call. They do that all the time. They have um, some type of yard scheduled for a day, and for one reason or another, they cancel that that um, yard time. And maybe they'll, if they're lucky, they'll get it next week or next day or whatever, whatnot. But there's no consistency, mm-hmm. and you know they fail to follow their own protocols. I'm still, for for instance, I'm still getting information that the guards are still not wearing masks. The guards are still refusing to wear masks. You know, and the programming, like I said, it's all screwed up. They have no consistency. They don't have any kind of game plan. So it, it, it's just unpredictable with them. Alice, I know that you, you know, I spoke to you on the last episode. Folks who are listening, um, you know, heard you answer some of these questions. Obviously, if there's anything that you want to add either to what everyone else has said or since we last talked, um, you know, I would love to have you do so. Otherwise, um, the next question that I wanted to ask was about the protest action uh, that you have coming up. What a lot of people don't understand is when we hear each other hurt, we know exactly how that feels. So we break down to, so I apologize. Um, I just really wanted to quickly add, um, when we went to CTF to protest on December 19th, there was 104 deaths. Um, yes, actually this morning, this morning, less than three weeks, less than three weeks from December 19th, there's 48 more deaths. So now we're at 152 with 
silence from everybody from CDC. They release them weekly now because they kind of, you know, they used to release the deaths daily and now they're doing it weekly kind of to like, well, it's no big deal, but it is a big deal. Those are people's loved ones. Those are people's family members. Those are people's husbands, you know, sons, daughters, and it needs to be put out there. And there's silence from CDCR. There's silence from the governor. And when the governor does speak, it's kind of, nonsense what he says just to try to cover himself mm-hmm. so therefore um us along with other organizations no justice under capitalism will be protesting um protesting towards newsom and and him being able to finally you know speak up and say something i know that he's terrified of the backlash but when we all voted for this man, he made a lot of commitments and promises about incarceration, and he has failed to acknowledge all those promises. Um, mm. I understand that he's probably afraid of the backlash from the right wing, because this is the same man who wanted to close down schools until everything gets better, and now he's like, oh, the kids can go back to regular school in February. But we're not even, you know, these deaths, these 48 deaths that have occurred and the numbers that rose are only from Thanksgiving. You know, because you you have to wait right. 14 days. Now imagine the death inside the incarcerated population after Christmas and New Year celebrations from those correctional officers or free staff or wardens, medical staff going into that facility. So that's just what I wanted to add. And if Don wants to talk a little bit more about the action on the 16th and Mary as well, and Crystal, please do. Yeah, I would love to hear as well, um, if anybody wants to chime in on that, about about the demands that you're making um, as part of that protest. So, yeah, whoever whoever would like to speak on it. Um, we are definitely demanding. We've been asking uh, kindly and patiently uh, to CDCR, to Kathleen Allison, and now Governor Newsom to uh, let our loved ones come home. Let them come home alive and um there's so much he can do. The power is in his hands as, as governor of California to let them come home under certain protocols to transitional homes, to loving homes that will provide a safe environment for them to finish off their their term. Um, there's programs out here that can help them. There are ways and means to do so. And he just needs to allow them to come home. Um, he needs to hold CDCR accountable for what's been going on. Kathleen Allison needs to hold to be accountable. I want to add one thing to um, about the communication because this is this is vital, but it's very blunt and true. The communication from CDCR to the families is zero to none, like I said. But there is one call, and let this ring in the ears of the people that listen and don't know. There is one call that you will for sure get from CDCR. And that call is when your loved one is dead. And that we fear every day on a daily basis because of the lifestyle in the prison system. But now with the COVID, that is one call that we dread getting every day. My loved one also has COVID. But I fear and I hear the stories of these people losing their loved ones inside and they got that call. Why can't they make a call and let us know that our loved ones are sick, the mm-hmm. status of our loved ones? We don't want to just receive a call when they're already dead. So that needs to be worked. But Governor Newsom needs to step it up and realize that we care about our loved ones and they, we have homes here 
open and safe and ready for them to come home to. Mary, you can add on to that about the 16th, but yes, the 16th, we are having a, a, an action in Sacramento um, demanding Newsom. It's directed to Newsom. And um, I don't know if we can put a flyer up on this on your website, but Absolutely. Um, we have a flyer and we just really push people to come out and speak up and be their loved one's voice and push on governor to be accountable to start releasing these people because he's set to release people on the 18th for clemencies. And that's great. You know, I'm happy for those that get to come home, but he can do a lot more than that. There's uh, thousands of men and women in there that are suitable to come home. Quit making money off of our loved ones' backs. You know, and I wanted to, um, to bring something up. Um, it would be nice for, CTF to actually get more organized, you know, uh, they're retesting these the the, the the resolved cases, which is positive cases past. They don't even have a date when people are going by to test them when the nurses when the staff goes by to each cell to do a test. They're retesting positives that just became positive, maybe like a month later, and they don't even have the date when they originally became infected. So there's there's a protocol after so long that they retest them again. You know, at the beginning when my father was in quarantine, they were releasing well, they were releasing people ahead of time before the whole 10 days with uh, it should have been 14 days. They were putting people back in their cells and they put my father back in his cell where there's already positive. So that's how it all started spreading and they're still not organizing organized doing the same Doing actually doing worse. I think you know Governor Newsom has been very quiet about this particular situation. He hasn't taken any kind of action and just giving you know full authority to CDCR that you know has proven that they really don't have an interest in you know letting our loved ones come home. And you know there's several avenues that he can use towards releasing our loved ones. You know not only through commutations but clemencies, pardons. You know, CDCR can also use their discretion to, you know, 1170 referrals. There's Senate Bill, you know, 1437, reviewing elderly parole, you know, medic medically um, vulnerable individuals. And, you know, people that have been in prison for 15 years or more, uh, you know, you also have third strikers. You also have people that are there on, you know, technical parole violations. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it's just people that have been denied for just, you know, ridiculous, capricious reasons, you know, and, and they've been, you know, they've served their base term. They are there on enhancements. They're there just because, you know, uh, just because this country feels that, you know, there's a need to punish people and not rehabilitate. Um, you know, I wanted to ask a bit about uh, we've we've spoken a bit about testing already and a little bit about releases. Of course, if there's anything that else, uh, anything else that comes up along those lines that you want to share, please do. But I wanted to also ask um, about the situation at this point, this far in, with PPE, with masks, with cleaning products, uh, and what folks have heard, if anything, about the vaccine situation within CTF? Like, has there been any mention of 
when it's going to happen, if it, like what order people are going to go in, like anything that you've heard like that, I would love to hear. I I have heard that um, it's it's already they have already been asked that question uh, about receiving the vaccine or not. How soon it's going to be um, afforded to them? I really don't know. Mm-hmm. But the question has already been you know posed. But I feel like you know that is 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 also something that is concerning because like out here you know in, in, out here in the in the in the world you know you have people that also don't trust the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as much as I would like to say that that is going to be the solution to our problems, I feel like that's not going to be the case because just like you're going to have, you know, staff refuse to take the vaccine, you know, I'm assuming you're going to have incarcerated population that are going to refuse to take the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't I know there's one facility that I don't remember off the top of my head which is a medical treatment facility that I know that they, they were already issuing um, the vaccine. Uh, but I'm, I'm sorry if I don't have the information on, on okay. that, but there is one facility that, that already started. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, like I said, again, I doubt that that is going to be the solution to our problems. You know, the, the subject of death has come up a couple times uh, on, this, on this conversation. And it's a, you know, under any circumstances in this pandemic, death is incredibly hard to deal with. Uh, Not to mention that a lot of people can't even go visit loved ones in the hospitals as they're passing. Uh, Funerals have been difficult. If there's anything that you wanted to share about grieving or dealing with death in a situation as stressful and as difficult as this, um, I think it would it would be good for folks to hear it. Well, um, Brian, um, and this is Mary. I, you know, thankfully, I've, you know, I haven't lost any family close family members. Um, we've lost friends, um, you know, and you see it on a daily basis. And we learn from incarcerated wives. Uh, I mean, wives of um, some incarcerated people. Some that, you know, we used to even see during visit or, you know, um, just have interaction with that have lost their loved one in sight. And um, I can't tell you, I, I don't even think I have the words to express, you know, how disheartening and heartbreaking that is, you know, just just to hear, you know, their voice break that you know, they're not ever going to get to see their loved one again. It's, it's a very, very, very tough pill to swallow. And, um, you know, you don't even know what to say to them. And, and, then, and then again, you have, you know, that you have that thought that that might and could possibly be you, you know, because even in my situation, you know, I knock on wood, but, you know, I, I've, I've been hearing about people, you know, retesting positive Mm -hmm. you know so it's like it's disheartening it's just heartbreaking and and it's emotional and it's draining and it's everything in between and you know um this is this is the reason why you know we're, we're speaking here today because you know unfortunately like i said some you know some folks in there don't have that support um you know others do but 
um, you know, we, we just try our best to, you know, get the word out and, 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 you know, have everybody um, listen to what it sounds like to be on, on this side, you know, on, on the side of, of people that um, are struggling with something even deeper than just the pandemic out here. Because out here, you know, we have the choice, you know, to stay at home, not go out, protect ourselves. Mm. You know, they don't. They don't have that option, you know. They have the option to you know, do as little as they can for themselves in there, but they cannot protect themselves from the outside environment, the people that come in and out, you know, from the way they are treated, you know, and, and that's one thing that I just want people to acknowledge and, you know, think of, you know, don't look at our, you know, family members that are incarcerated as criminals, even though they did commit a crime, but, look at them as who they are. They're human beings, you know, their fathers, their sons, you know, daughters, aunts, uncles, uh, you know, some of them even grandparents, some of them haven't even met their children for the first time, um, you know, and, 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 and that's what I would like people to, you know, to think about and look at. And the fact that, you know, they were there they're there to rehabilitate and a lot of them have, but because of this, you know, unfair system that we have right now, they cannot come home because they were over sentenced because, you know, the crime they, they committed, you know, the, the punishment they received did not fit the crime they committed. And they're still there paying the consequences, even though they were supposed to go in there, rehabilitate and get out. And, you know, and for governor Newsom, you know, I would I would like for him to acknowledge the fact that, you know, they're going to come home. They have to come home. Mm -hmm. So let them come home alive. Let them come home. Give them that opportunity to come home alive. I kind of just want people to, to sit back and look at the whole picture. And I'm going to use an example. We have the crop organization. Um, I think three out of the four men were released from CTF and received clemency from the governor. And there's actually the, an episode with Lisa Ling on CNN with them and the amazing work that they did throughout the whole prison community in CTF Central. They raised $30,000 to help um, a high school student be able to pay for his tuition at private school. And it's been on the Washington Post. It's everywhere. Even President Obama tweeted about it and about redemption. And I commend these men for their hard work. And, and just to see them, you follow them on Instagram and, and Facebook and see that, you know, you saw them with their families that visit and it was beautiful to see, but you get to see them celebrate outside with their families now. And I think that when you see people comment like, oh, amazing work, this is great. And then you see a post about, you see, I can't do Facebook, guys, because I can't <laughs> tolerate, yeah. yeah, I can't tolerate the hate on there. Um, you see a post about um, two, you know, they call them inmates, and it's the worst word ever, two inmates died at CTF. And then you see the same people commenting on redemption on these posts about, you know, these guys who raised $30,000 
it's the same prison, the same individuals. It was a group a group effort. Probably some of the guys that passed away or some of the guys that donated to those 30000 and all the hate mongering on those. Well, oh, well, oh, well, less money we have to pay. And I just don't understand it, that it's this is a bigger picture. This is someone's family member. This is someone's dad. And what Don said hit the most. I am very new into this community, opposed to these other ladies or a lot of people probably listening to this. Um, but I was, you know, I didn't know anybody that was incarcerated. I was scared shitless when I went into that visiting room because I didn't know what I was going to get myself into. And I I cannot say this. You know, a lot of people are out of sight, out of mind people because it doesn't directly affect them. Mm-hmm. Those are the most beautiful people you will ever see in the visiting room. The most beautiful people. The most loving community ever. Um, can you speak to whether it's going to Sacramento, whether you're trying to reach out to the governor, while you're trying to reach out to the warden, to medical, to anything? Can you just talk about sort of what you get back, if anything, and, and what that part of it is like, just to impress upon people sort of the full experience of, of doing that advocacy? Okay, really quickly, I would like to add, since we last talked, I did let people know and yourself know that um, I had wrote to the warden and still hadn't received a response. And I just looked at my email because I wanted to verify when was the last time that I emailed him and I really wanted a genuine response. And I do my follow-up, okay? I follow up from that email and I keep following up every week to see if he'll answer. I wrote to him at 227, 227 cases on November 12th. And I follow up every week to see if he's ready to answer. Um, I still don't have an email from him. I think collectively we all write and we all do, especially the phones apps throughout all the other prisons. Churchill of Women's has a huge outbreak right now. So they had a phone zap and an email zap currently. I remember a few months back, I think mid-summer, when they had the first um, legislators to have the first public safety hearing kind of really concerned about what was going on. It's when San Quentin had its big outbreak. And they had a, an email zap that was sent out to the governor. I remember this is how much the governor, you know, because it's probably not even, you know, the governor has a lot of people that work under him. They blocked his email from us being able to send those emails because they were tired of receiving them. But if you're tired of receiving them, that means that there needs to be action behind it. Right. Not just like, well, I don't want to deal with it, so let's just block their emails right. and let's move. And that's what we we receive constantly. It's just the silence. It's like, well, we'll just call them when their loved one dies. Like, it doesn't make sense. Um, I don't know what the other ladies have experienced, um, but I'll let them speak on it. Well, that that's a very funny question. <laughs> um, I think we we have I for myself in my experience, I think there's only three responses you ever get from them, and it's either a generic email or something um, in re- in response that doesn't make sense and doesn't answer your question, or um, no response at all. And this is how. It has been since I can remember, since I've, you know, even started my attempts with getting answers and and trying to make change and trying to just even get information, accurate Mm -hmm. information from somebody. Um, You always get that generic, 
answer, well, you know, the orders are coming from Sacramento. And when you ask, you know, who exactly Sacramento is, like, I think nobody has that response to give you. So it's very frustrating, very frustrating, because like I said, there's never been transparency. There's never been actual communication. There's a huge gap between CDCR and, 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 and the family members of incarcerated people. And I, I don't think that, you know, there should be. Um, but that, that's, that's just my experience since, you know, since I started doing this and advocating. Mm -hmm. I'll just say ditto. And like Alice said, for Governor Newsom to turn off his email or to be able to receive emails, that should speak volumes. He is governor. He chose to run for governor. He was elected governor. So he, the responsibility is in his hand. And for him to shut that off, there's no words for that. It's just disgusting. It means he doesn't care because he could have responded to those emails. He could have acted on those emails. And we're, what, nine, ten months in? And there's been no action except from the beginning. 152 deaths. I can't remember how many staff. But for me, one death is too many. Mm -hmm. He needs to take action. Thank you for listening to Beyond Prisons. If you find our work valuable, we ask that you head over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe to Beyond Prisons. You can support our work by sharing this and past episodes on social media. If you're financially able to support us, you can do so for as little as $1 per month over on Patreon at patreon.com backslash beyondprisons. We recently launched our new website, www.beyond-prisons.com. There you will find a Beyond Prisons guide for supporting prisoners during the COVID-19 crisis, including a link to a downloadable PDF in small and large print formats. There's also a section on mutual aid projects that we update frequently and a list of demands that includes a call for the immediate release of prisoners. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can drop us a line at beyondprisonspodcast at gmail.com. Beyond Prisons is created and hosted by Kim Wilson and Brian Sonstein. Ellis Maxwell edits our episodes and Victoria Nam manages our website and volunteers. The music is by Jared Ware. We'd like to give a special thanks to our many volunteers who are helping us transcribe our episodes to make them more accessible, as well as our donors who provide 100% of the funding for this show. We really appreciate your support. Thanks for listening. <laughs>